Want to exhibit your work? BFF doesn't exist without artists. BFF will help you get in contact with neighborhood businesses and spaces and guide you through any other help you need. Start the conversation at BFFOmaha.org. BFF is dedicated to supporting the region's emerging and established artists by creating opportunity, exposure, and experiences that help them move forward while enriching the cultural competency of the greater Omaha area. BFF to the arts. BFF to the community. BFF. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I am Tom Noblock. We're recording out of Studio 62 in Benson, Nebraska. And we've got an exciting show for you. I've got Christine burwright McGuigan on the show today, who admits on the episode, kind of a hard name to Google for you, but uh, I can spell it, I guess. It's Christine's how you'd think, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Burwright, B-U-R-R-I-G-H-T, McGuigan, M-C-G-U-I-G-A-N. So, uh, I'm not sure why I started off spelling her name instead of just introducing her, but she's a very talented writer. She wrote the hit short, The Headliner, which is now being turned into a feature. She's got all kinds of other projects that she's working on. She is a prolific, exciting person who has a lot to say, a lot that she wants to convey, and she's very, very good at what she does. I had talked to the director of The Headline, Tony Bonacci, on a previous episode, and talking to him... It was kind of apparent to me. It's like, well, I've got to get Christine in here one of these days. And that day was today. So I'm very excited to have this conversation. She's one of the most exciting writers in Omaha right now. She's going places. The headliner is going places. you got to watch out for these two. They are quite the team. And even apart, they are doing all kinds of exciting things. So today's show is Christine talking about her story, how she got to be the person who could write the headliner and make something that would resonate with so many people where she sees herself going from here, and all the things that might be bubbling up on the horizon. So please enjoy my conversation today with Christine burright McGuigan. Sounds like you've had a lot of exciting developments lately. I follow, we're friends on Facebook. Yeah. I've seen a few, <laughs> a few of the updates. Uh, so like, do you feel like you're finally at this point where it's like everything's starting to pay off, all your writing? I... I guess to some degree, yes. Uh, I, you know, I haven't been working at this long in, you know, relation to how long some people, you know, are, work to develop a writing career. Uh, you know, it's been a couple of years, but it's been like a swift and strong couple of years. And so for that, I feel really grateful. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I just had a lot of luck, like right out of the gate. And uh, so I've just been trying to keep the momentum going and not get too comfortable and like too oh, you know oh, I'm a writer I'm so good like I mean do you think yeah. people are just born either being able to write or not or do you think it's all skill like skill development oh that's such a good question and it's something that uh you know, so I studied writing at UNO um and I didn't I didn't start writing and I didn't enter a writing program and this wasn't even something that was on my radar until I was an adult well into my 30s I say, like, well, I'm not that old, but, uh, um, so I think to some degree you are, you have that, like, you have that notion inside of you. You have that little bit inside of you that is saying, you know, you have words, you have a voice and you need to do something with that. And that voice is what can be developed. And that voice is what, you know, people, are driven by and what makes good writers like when you listen to your internal voice and when you nourish it and support it and believe in it so so do you you think everybody has that or is it only certain people like if is it just a lot of people don't (laughs) nourish it 
I think that's true. I think everybody has it. It's just a matter of whether or not you nourish it. And I mean, you, you probably know a lot of people who say they want to write something, like they want to write Absolutely. a book or a movie, whatever it might be, who just mm-hmm. never really get to it. Correct. And it's like, I, I always feel like there's that level of admiration you get just for finishing things. Absolutely. That it's like everybody can finish something. It's right. not necessarily going to be good, but it's like everybody in the world can write a book if they want to. Right, absolutely. So like you should admire it if like if you like <laughs> it, you know, or if I did yeah. something right. Um, but so, okay, so when you were a kid, was this always something that you sort of had in your head as something you might want to develop? I mean, nourish, whatever, turn into something? Yeah, so I think uh, for me personally, I, so I'm a very imaginative person. I'm a very imaginative person and I live inside my head Mm. and I have like characters and scenarios and people I know and my family and things that are happening. I've got all this stuff happening inside my brain and I always just thought that I had a really overactive imagination and that I was just spacey and couldn't focus on anything and um but it turns out that, oh, no, these are characters. This is dialogue. These are actions. Like there are things happening inside my head that you know, are begging to be put on paper. And that's like my job now is to take all the crazy people running around inside my head and (laughs) (laughs) show show them to other people. Yeah. It's a very weird thing. I like one of the first screenplays I wrote, I was sitting there writing out this like fight between these two people. And I was just like, what a psychotic thing to do. Like (laughs) I'm inventing people and I'm making them fight with each other. Like, and then That's other people so will like pay strange. for this. Yeah. yeah. And like, I want people to pay to watch it. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's so weird. But, um, but I guess that's just me. It's, <laughs> I guess I'm just weird. I are, don't know. are you from Omaha originally? I am. Yes, okay. I am. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, was it a family of creative type people? Yeah. So I think that, uh, my family is kind of under the radar creative. There's, uh, I have a lot of musicians in my family, but it was like, uh, you know, violin and trumpet and the saxophone. So it's not like cool musical. It's, you know, band nerd musical. So Um, did you grow up listening to people practicing on trumpets and things? That sounds horrible to me. Uh, It's, it's, it's rough. (laughs) Like Uh, I I like the finished product, but I grew up with, uh, Uh my siblings played the piano and, that is, I feel like it's probably less annoying yeah. to hear someone badly play something on the piano, but Absolutely. it's still annoying to hear the same song 400 times. 100%. Trumpet is uh, oh, it's worse. Rough. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my sister played the trumpet. I played the clarinet. And then I also decided to play the French horn. So it's like three of the worst sounds <laughs> you could ever imagine, like echoing throughout your house day in and day out. Did it bother you? Or were you like into it, the sound? like? Oh, like when done well, it's like what the, those instruments are gorgeous like the french horn is one of the most beautiful sounds like right. i've ever heard when you know but, what you're doing for sure yeah. but not coming like from me uh i was like on a scale of intolerable to beautiful i was definitely on the intolerable end of the scale okay but yeah. it, but you were like I, I can figure this out i can get good yeah absolutely yeah. it's just it's a challenge it's a puzzle it's something that you you know you figure out i i don't have um like an inherent musical ability i don't have an ear for it but it's like, well, it's charted out on a piece of paper, and if you show me how to do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think that's the kind of attitude I've had towards a lot of things in life. It's like, well, maybe this isn't my natural inclination, but I'm competitive and I like a good challenge, and so I'm I'm pretty motivated to figure things out that seem, you know, difficult to figure out on the surface. Did you play sports or anything as a kid? Uh, no, I played a little bit of um, like soccer growing up, you know, just the obligatory Westo soccer league kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I, oh, I did play tennis in high school. I never won a single match. I was at a, a, you know, a 
zero and 1200 record or whatever it was did that uh, bother you or was that kind of like a point of pride at, <laughs> at this point it's prideful it's like <laughs> yeah i never won anything um yeah I, I don't know i guess i just came to terms at some point that sports i'm just not a physically inclined person when it comes to that but i like i love running because again it's well it's like who can't run it's just it's feet and sure, it's yeah. you know we're built to we're you know bipedal primates like we're built to run that's right. what we do so um but you said yeah. you were competitive right so oh, like, yeah. where, where did the mm-hmm. com- competition actually enter into anything you oh like you know academic competition like spelling oh, got it okay <laughs> spelling <laughs> those champion <laughs> exactly i was so that kid yeah and the spelling trophies and the you know go to the uh you know i like i wanted to get the 99 percent on the the cat exams and i you know took acts when i was in the seventh grade that's smart it's like, though why that, that, not? like yeah. that's a that pays off yeah exactly does that. uh-huh yeah exactly it paid off yeah 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 so. so okay so i mean was that just because like was there pressure in the household or where did the even competition for grades come from yeah i oh, i have a um like a very very smart family they're just okay. incredibly smart people like my aunt was you know a mensa member she was a she was a certified genius and she held you know she had a bunch of degrees so there's a lot of pressure you're like yeah. i gotta fit in somehow exactly like okay. especially no offense like to my dad and my uncle if they hear this but like the women in my family are extremely smart and so yeah i i felt uh like i had to kind of live up to that like my sister's brilliant my aunt's brilliant you know, my mom's a genius because she's put up with my dad for like, you know, 50 years. So she's learned a thing she's or two. Out. She's figured it out. Um, so were you like yeah. were you picking up books that it's like, there's no way I'm going to understand this, but I'm going to read it and oh, yeah. pretend like I do? Oh, yeah. Well, when I, Yeah. When I, I remember in the sixth grade, we had to do uh, like research papers and I had chosen to do my, re- like, you know, the kids are like, oh, I'm going to do my research paper on like the state of Nebraska yeah. or on, you know, lions. And I wanted to do my research paper on the atomic bomb. <laughs> and I remember just like slay, like throwing myself down on the couch in tears because I did not understand <laughs> like the inner workings of them. My dad's trying to explain it to me and I'm just like, oh, I don't get it. So frustrated. It's like, well, what, you know, 11 year old understands. So did you, energy. did you get to the point though where you're like, I'm going to at least act like i understand this oh yeah uh uh-huh yeah it's like oh yeah uh and i'm i'm now raising it my kid is equally brilliant but he is that that child that's like oh i'm gonna pretend i know everything that's happening and i'm gonna like offer my opinion and insert myself in the conversation he's very very confident and uh i adore that about him yeah i mean so you're a kid then you're trying to be smart you're kind of figuring it out was that (laughs) something where you were trying to figure out like was writing on the radar at all yeah, kind of, you know, we would get little assignments and little projects, and I was really, really uh, drawn to the writing. Um, also visual arts. I, I, I uh, initially went to school and ultimately worked in, and still do, in like photography and graphic design. Okay. So, um, yeah, writing was just kind of this like really fun thing that I loved to do in the context of school. Um, but I didn't really, like I said, I didn't even know that writing outside of an academic environment was something that I could do or would be good at until like pretty recently. Um, yeah, I never, uh, I never got a bachelor's degree. I studied graphic design, got an associate's degree, left school when I was 20 and just started, you know, working full time. 
Uh, because it's like, yeah, I'm the youngest person in the, you know, right, the youngest yeah, person in the office. I won. It's a competition. Again. Uh, yeah, you're yeah. look at me. I win. So like, were, were you obsessed um, so, with like books or anything though? I mean, or movies or yeah. different storytelling methods? Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, definitely. Um, I mean, I don't, you don't need to give specific ones, but it's like, you know, some kids are just do like, do you want me to write you a book report here? Because I will do it. I believe you can you just promise, from what I know you, so far. If you promise you will grade it, I will yeah. write you a book. Explain report. the atomic bomb to me okay. right now. <laughs> um, I'm going to call my dad. I'm crying. <laughs> dad. Yeah. Well, I mean like there's some of those kids who's just like, I don't know. This kid's so obsessed with things. It's like, it's probably what they're going to do, but it oh, sounds sure. like you were more practical minded. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Definitely. And so, when you get to college, even like when you get to that age, I mean, you're not thinking I want to be a writer. No, uh, no. So I, by the time I hit college, I wanted to be an artist, uh, studying art history. And then I had a teacher basically be like, well, what are you going to do with this once you graduate? And I was like, well, I don't know. And she's like, well, you're not really going to be qualified to do anything. <laughs> but aside from, you know, work in an art museum or represent artists, like that's. That didn't appeal to you? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um so, so no, I, uh, writing was not a thing. It was all visual. I went with graphic design because it was super practical and mm. pretty much guaranteed to, you know, find me a job. Um, but then as an adult, not having this bachelor's degree, not having this like sense of the sort of, you know, super nerdy point of pride, like for me, um, I decided to go back to school for just to get a bachelor's degree in anything and it just so happened that I had a bunch of art credits left over from when I was you know a teenager so I um I just kind of like pulled up the website and scrolled down and was like oh yeah creative writing that looks good let's do that <laughs> just you're like I think I can figure this out yeah like I can do that that's easy well, uh, yeah so that's what I that's what I did I just did scrolled you... through website picked it out enrolled and was like boom here we go <laughs> yeah, I mean with, with this was the impulse to get the job so early because of like you just wanted to feel like an adult you wanted to feel oh, accomplished yeah. so like yeah. were you somebody who as a kid then was kind of uncomfortable being a kid oh definitely okay yeah what do you think that's because of your family being so accomplished? Is that what it was? Or you're like so smart? It could just... be. Yeah, I was also the. Uh, so my sister and I didn't grow up with any cousins. It was just the two of us. So we were basically just around adults all the time. I was mm-hmm. never around kids younger than me or kids my age unless it was at school. So yeah, on a like personal familial level, like it was a pretty grown up environment that we were in. I mean, my dad's like a big kid. He's like the goofiest person in the world. He's a child, um, but. But yeah, it was like a super, you know, adult-centric kind of environment. So, so you're yeah. like, I need to get qualified to have yeah, the adult conversations exactly. with everybody. Sit uh-huh. at the, not sit at the kids' table anymore. Yeah, totally. It's like I'm 14. It's just like, <laughs> I don't know, it's time to scratch this. And then so, okay, so you get to that point that you're working and you're like, I don't know, maybe being a kid wasn't so bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. So I graduated when I was 20, moved out, got a full-time job immediately. And it was just like, oh, this is terrible. And then... um yeah, you know, I'm like turned 21 and showing up, you know, hungover to work. And it's like, what have I done? I've made such a mistake. Like, <laughs> It's over. My life's it's over. over. Yeah, I should be skipping class right now. But instead, I have to go to like a board meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and so how old were you when you started the college or the creative writing program? Oh, gosh. So um, I was like 32. Okay, so there was a while then a of the... Pretty big gap. Okay. Yeah. And so in that period, was that, I mean, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I did the whole, I did the whole thing that you're supposed to do. I had the job, I got a house, I got married, I had a kid. 
Um, I started my own business and was like running a photography business. Um, I temporarily opened, I say temporarily because it didn't go well. I opened an art gallery that didn't like really take off. It wasn't, you know, a lot to manage. Um, so I did a lot of things and I felt really restless in all these things. I didn't feel satisfied by them. Like I felt, you know, felt satisfied by them. Like I met great people, you know, my ex-husband, he's a good person, my kid I love tremendously um but there was still something missing and something like gnawing at me that I needed to you know I needed to solve in my life and I think uh it kind of took on it took on this um outward appearance of like you need to go back to school and finish your degree I think that was sort of the surface but beneath that I think there was just something inside of me like crawling trying to get out you know and and so school um, was just sort of this, uh, you know, I, I say it was totally random and I just picked it off a website, but I also think that there's a lot of, um, like, un, um, uh, like, I forget, my mind just went blank. There was a lot of, like, um, you know, uh, oh, gosh, like, oh, man. All right, next question. I forget. <laughs> forgot the well, word I don't know we can keep having, I'm having trouble you don't have to find right the now. word but yeah it's not, uh, isn't that always embarrassing when you're like yeah people think of you as like the English person or the writer person and you're like what was I trying to say I'm I don't a writer yeah, give me a paper I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll write, write this out let me write it down give me yeah give me a piece of paper and final draft in four days <laughs> and I will answer that question I mean I'm curious so you're trying it sounds like you were doing ambitious creative things absolutely was it that they weren't working that was leaving you unsatisfied? Like if you had opened a really successful art gallery, sure. do you think that would have scratched that itch for but you? Potentially. Uh, I think that uh, I think it's a, um, a, a thing that a lot of artists bump up against and a lot of creatives bump up against where you think – so photography, I loved it. I was so passionate about it. And then I made it my career and that completely ruined it for me. <laughs> it became work. Yeah. So where I was finding creative outlet – in my day-to-day, uh, you know, work with like clients and families and it was creative and I was growing and I felt like I was pouring myself into something valuable. Eventually it just became a job and I dreaded doing it. And, and I think that's something that a lot of creative people, right? Yeah. Have, you know, that's what it happens to a lot of people and you just get burned out. And so I just thought like, okay, I need something else now. Like something else has to fix this for me because now I just feel stuck again. Are you afraid of being bored generally? Yes. Okay. That seems to be a recurring theme. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh-huh. Definitely. Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. Uh, I am just like, I am a fidgety, nervous, like ball of energy. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You're like, I got to put this somewhere. Uh-huh. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I don't know what to do with it. I'm also like very introverted and I hate like crowds of people. And so I'm just kind of this like... I describe myself as um, like a stack of squirrels in a woman's suit. I'm just kind of like, you unzip me and it's just squirrels from head to toe. But if you're introverted, no one can tell that, I feel like usually. They're like, oh, she seems composed. She knows Uh what's going on. Yeah, like, oh, she's cool. She's quiet. She's, you know. Yeah. If you're quiet, people think you've got all the answers, I think, generally. Yeah. It's secretly, I have none. So. <laughs> well, nobody does though. It's just how good can you <laughs> right. pretend like you do? <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, so that sort of like fidgety element, then you're thinking yeah. like, okay, college is something, going back, get finishing that degree. You're like, that is something I can throw all that energy yeah, into. It's absolutely. like a goal. And then mm-hmm. just sort of see what happens. Yeah, definitely. And so, okay, creative writing. I know you say it's random, but like yeah. how, I mean, there must've been something that 
went off for you. Like, like the light bulb yeah. there. There's a reason why it was that. Yeah, exactly. Not uh, like horticulture or something. <laughs> Ooh, horticulture. <laughs> that, that's next. Yeah, yeah, that's what's next. I'm going to get a master's degree in horticulture. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, I say it was random, but I, it's it was as random as anything is random. I mean, you know, you can believe that there's like you know meaning and unintentional like intent behind any, anything um yeah what was the question well i mean i guess i'm just i'm just again. curious oh, it's like do you think it's because you're feeling all these things you're not really sure what an outlet is and creative right. writing is a way to try to organize your thoughts yeah it's absolutely. a way to put them out to maybe have people understand what you're feeling yeah with, definitely i mean there's like that there's that layer of artificial element to the drama you're creating but right. it's also a way to reach out to people and connect with people yeah, absolutely. in a really personal way yeah do you think that was part of what was appealing for you yeah so uh so i i picked creative writing and i i picked creative nonfiction. okay so it's basically like how to artfully write about yourself super personal super personal yeah um and it, yeah and and I, I don't know. I loved David Sedaris and um, like David Rakoff and all these really, really funny essayists. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, what attracted me to it. I thought, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Like, I want to write funny things. Like, that sounds like something that I would be good at. Funny, but just like expose your own vulnerabilities exactly. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Did you ever, did you, so you did that at UNO? You yes, said? Were UNO, you, yeah. Did mm-hmm. you take any classes with Lisa Knopp? No, I. Uh, it just so happened that I did not have a single class with her, okay. which is a shame. Yeah, yeah. she's a really nice. I took one class with her in my undergrad, yeah. and I thought she was really nice and yeah. exposed me to a bunch of creative nonfiction. Yeah. Who were some of the people that you did study with or uh, oh, the professors yet? Yeah, so uh, in the writing, I had pretty much everybody else in the in the writing <laughs> creative writing side in the in the arts department. So um, Todd Robinson, Miles Wagner, Lisa Faye Cooley, uh, Anna Minardo. And then in the English department, there's they kind of cross mm-hmm. cross paths. Um, Lisa Kennett or uh, Tammy Kennedy and uh, John Price. John Price. He he wrote the pheasant book, right? Uh, Man killed by pheasant or something. Yes, is that right? Okay, uh-huh. yeah. I had to read that. Lisa Kanop assigned that because I think oh, yeah. they would uh-huh. like they, cross they pollinate their classes. Each other's work. I think yeah. it's a scam to make money. I think it is too because but... it's like, oh look at me, I sold forty copies of my book. <laughs> so did you have to read any of uh, Lisa Kanop's stuff? No, I didn't read no. any of hers. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, I was just curious. So, I mean, okay, so you and O, you're doing creative nonfiction, and it's like you like it. You're yeah, falling in love absolutely. with it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, did you write a bunch of essays then? Oh, tons. Yeah, I took um, four, five, six, maybe semesters of of essay writing, and uh, you know, they're workshops, and so you you study um, you study a writer, you study a piece. And then you write something that's kind of like the launching point for what you write. And then you bring it to class and you read it in class. And the other 12 people in the room tell you what's wrong with it. Like, <laughs> how'd, that, how'd that go for you? It was actually okay. Yeah. Um, because it turns out that everybody else was just like me. Everybody else was like squirrely and weird and yeah. like, you know, terrified to make eye contact and stuff. Um, <laughs> bunch of introverts. So, a bunch of introverts yeah. in a room like reading really. Pr- it's such a bizarre thing. Like, why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> We're the most private people in the world. But it's like, here, let me read this incredibly personal thing to you. Yeah, like, I remember when I took the creative nonfiction, I only took one class in it but i remember it's like wow i know a lot about the sex lives of everybody in this class now i know it's so it's it's very like yeah it's like (laughs) sex in the city you know but like 
Well, it's like I know all the family members who died. I yeah. know every, like, whoever it's like all their weird sex stuff. Yeah, it's like your parents are divorced and your mom left you and your dad's in jail yeah. and like you smoke meth and it's. But we all still strange. talk like we don't know anything about each other. Yeah. Like there's no relationship being formed. It's no. just like here's everything about me. Yeah, there's kind of this like what happens in the writer's room stays in the writer's right. room. Like you don't talk about it. You don't go home and tell your loved ones like, look at this. <laughs> you thought you were messed up. Right. <laughs> Let me tell you about this story that this yeah and like there's none of that there's a lot of like respect for it because it is a really difficult thing to do like we're all messed up we're all crazy um and it's a really bold thing to share that with other people and to you know help them relate and to help them categorize their crazy by sharing your crazy and so i mean was the the plan at that point then to try to become like did you want to do professional essay writing at a certain level or sell any of them yeah okay. i thought yeah i thought maybe i'd write some essays maybe get some stuff published in journals um you know i guess maybe longer down the road i thought oh maybe i'll get a master's degree maybe i'll teach um you know maybe i'll teach the next generation of essayists um but that's like not something I should I'm qualified to do. <laughs> should be we'll see what, doing, yeah. <laughs> especially if anybody listens to this podcast. I'm gonna be like, oh no, not her. Well, okay, so I mean, I, w- I don't know. I always feel like I've got this admiration for essayists because, like, yeah. it's they're able to distill a lot about themselves and then usually just the culture at large. Absolutely, and it's really. I don't know. Like I've always had this dream that like I would love to write a book of essays. I haven't <laughs> ever tried really seriously to do it, but sure. like I love reading them. Like uh, was that there's that Zadie Smith collection that just came out of yeah. essays. I thought that was great. I've always liked David Foster Wallace essays more oh, than yeah, his fiction. Yeah, I don't know. Th- there's something cool about it. Uh, do yeah. you still write essays? I I do. Um, I don't spend the time developing them the way I should, but I have little drafts and little paragraphs and little things that I've started tweaking and and working on. But, I mean, unfortunately, no, I say unfortunately, but fortunately, most of my time is spent working on screenplays and um, pilots and things like that that are, um, you know, being produced or, you know, I'm working with producers on things or, you know, right. writing things for festivals and competitions and stuff. So, right. so, so my energy is kind of being pushed in that direction rather than, um, in the essays. Yeah. So like when, when does fiction start to enter into it then? That's a really good question. Um, so like in essays in general or I guess in my writing? I, well, or? I mean, just like you moving more toward fiction, I guess, away sure. from creative nonfiction. Sure. So, uh, as part of the course requirements I took a uh, writing for TV class because I thought oh that'll be really easy uh, and it turned out it was easy like not for everybody but it was really easy for me and um, I loved it and that's when I kind of started realizing hey I can write about all these really personal things but I can put somebody else's name on it like right. oh I didn't say that Betty said that like yeah. that didn't happen to me that happened to her yeah, Betty's got the weird sex yeah. life <laughs> not me yeah. definitely not me <laughs> um yeah so so okay so from that then you start to think like ooh, maybe I should pursue that yeah um so uh, again it, it kind of I I feel like I just like stumbled down this path um I had had written some stuff for this class and uh around this time my ex-husband Matt he had become friends with Tony Bonacci and Tony Bonacci was looking for somebody to write a short for him based on these characters that him and um Derek had come up with 
and these these characters were the basis for the headliner. Hmm. So um, I I sent Tony some stuff that I had written, and he you know he liked it. So I met with him. Uh, he gave me kind of the premise for the headliner, and uh, I wrote it, and he liked it, and it it rolled into production. So um, from I mean the the time between writing my first thing in this tv class and then like handing the headliner over to tony was like less than a year it was a swift process were you confident so, you'd be able to do it or was it kind of just a shot in the dark oh no i had no confidence in it whatsoever it, yeah i was just like well, i don't know I, but you had enough confidence yeah. to try at least right yeah absolutely and i you know i kind of thought like well what's the worst thing that's gonna happen he's not gonna like it and he'll you know hand it back to me and say thanks no thanks sure um but, yeah. i mean so it's i mean this the headliner was something where so it's you always knew it was going to be Derek. You knew kind of the basic trajectory of the plot then yes. from Tony already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'm just curious. Like I know men seem to be really hesitant about writing for women characters. Sure. Have you found that that's? I feel like every time I talk to guys who write, they're always like, I don't know how to write women, but women seem to not be <laughs> as concerned with that. Like they're like, right. I think I can figure it out. Uh-huh. What do you, What do you make of that? I think there's a lot of truth in that. I was I was nervous. I was nervous writing a male character for the first time, like a male protagonist. Um, it was also, the, I, I thought the most challenging aspect of it, though, was that this was not a character that came out of my brain. This was a character that came out of Tony and Derek's brains. And so I had to live, like, with that. I had to absorb what they thought the character was and then live with it for a while before I figured out what it was. Um, and he is sort of he's sort of this like unlikable person. And so I feel kind of guilty writing like an unlikable man. <laughs> like, Oh, should I do that? Like, cause it was going to portray men. Right. Like are way. people going to think I hate all men because this guy is like totally unlikable. Uh, but I think that there's sort of this, perhaps it's a double standard, uh, where I think w- women are maybe given a little bit of a, a a little bit more grace a little bit bigger of a grace you know zone when it comes to writing a male character rather than a man writing a female character it's probably less scrutinized well um, but i mean so you felt though like i can figure out how to write this guy like it's not the, the gender is not scary as yeah a, okay. why are men so afraid of writing women characters what do you think i don't know because uh because women are bonkers for i'm like a totally crazy person but like not not in like a you know uh you know murder your bunny stab you with an ice pick kind of way but um it's the squirrels inside of you. it's the squirrels yeah uh well but i mean like i don't know it seems almost dismissive i feel like so many men are like i'm not even gonna try to write women into this story because i don't know what they think like right well so here's the secret women are people well yeah i guess that's where i always i'm I'm confused it's like i guess so like you encounter men encounter women all the time. I don't right. get how it's so hard to figure out. Like, oh, how can we not even have a female supporting role in this movie? Right. I think that's kind of a cop out. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are complex. Characters are complex, and if you can't write um, a complex character of any gender, you know, maybe you should spend some more time in character development. Right. But you you found that that was fairly natural for you. Sure. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, is that because you've just been observant of people? Yeah, I'm a huge observer. Yeah, I'm gonna of you know characteristics and the way people talk and the way you know what people say and yeah. Does that come as well? I mean, were there 
sort of benchmarks for you of movies or TV shows or books or something where you could see what was working, what wasn't, how to formulate fictional characters with depth and who are interesting and entertaining and all that? Sure. Uh, You know, so some of my, uh, you know, unfortunately these days, Woody Allen, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of people do not like him and will not speak his name. But I have to say that Annie Hall it's the first movie I watched that I became completely obsessed with. How old were you when you saw it? Um, like 17 or 18, maybe? Yeah. When I was in yeah. high school, I was obsessed with Woody Allen movies. I watched yeah. probably all of them. Yeah. And yeah, it's the same thing where it's like, that was really formative for me, but I probably don't talk about it ever, really. Right. Just yeah. because, I don't know, I kind of want to go into that. Right, it's like, I can't let people know I've seen that movie. Well, it's like, I don't, like, I don't necessarily, it's not me liking those movies isn't me trying to say I condone his behavior in life, but it's like, you almost get put in the position of being like a Woody Allen apologist if you like some of the movies. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so Annie Hall clicked for you. Yes. It's just like, okay, this is, it's the right mix of what, like, honesty, sort of that vulnerability. It's also funny. vulnerability, it's funny. It's, the characters were, they felt like real people. They were, you know, obviously like these hyper-stylized Woody Allen-ish people, but Mm. they were, like, fun and, like, not, you know... They weren't polished. Right. Yeah. yeah. So were there other, I mean, Woody Allen then, was it some of his other ones too, or was it just sort of Annie Hall? It was pretty you? much that one. Okay. Like, that's that's good. That's easy for yeah. you. So you don't have to defend no, anything. No, like Manhattan. Oh, I can't defend that movie. Yeah, that's a gross can't one. can't defend that. Like yeah. it's, you know, it's shot well, but yeah, it's a gross movie. Yeah. Oh. Um, but, uh, so yeah, nothing really, uh, yeah, I'm not a person who loves an entire catalog. I just kind of pick and pick and choose what I like. Okay. But, so, um, so you don't seem like someone who's obsessed with a whole lot of specific influences necessarily then. No, I don't think so. That seems unique for a writer. Sure. I feel like a lot of people are always like, I want to, like, I saw this and I want to steal that. Sure. And that's like one of my life goals is to figure right. out how did they do that. Right. And slowly work my way to making my version of it. Sure. I kind of feel that way about uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge okay. and Fleabag. Like, if I were to steal any... If I could, like, turn back time and write Fleabag myself... Yeah, that would be your one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that would be it. I, uh, I think she's brilliant. And again, love, yeah, it's, like, show. vulnerable, bonkers, off-the-wall characters. Like, just people who should be completely unlikable but you really root for them. And yeah. I, I think that is good. It's good characters. It's good writing. It's just good humanity. Like yeah. to be able to take an unlikable person and make you like them. And make it funny. And make it funny in and the process. Sad and, all that. and sad and like sexy and yeah. raw. It's, it's brilliant. And there's definitely some similarities there between like what it seems like you responded to in Annie Hall and what she was yeah, doing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So that's, Okay, so you were, you were always interested in sort of juggling a lot of genres and juggling sure. sort of different mm-hmm. elements. And Absolutely. so the headliner, I mean, when you talked to Tony, did you have to sort of make a pitch to him? Or was it just sort of like, hey, I'll try this, like without a whole lot of guidance and see what happens? Yeah, so he just gave me the premise and told me to run with it. And his only stipulation was that it be funny. <laughs> and you were cool with that? <laughs> yeah, but then I handed it back and I was like, Tony, this is not funny. <laughs> this is like heartbreaking. <laughs> but um, So was the original idea not, did it not have the tragedy element to it? Then? Yeah, I completely came up oh, with that. Okay. And it's the it's the most like dramatic thing I've, I've ever written i mean there's like you know penis jokes and stuff hidden in there but again when it's also like sad yeah. um well, i mean so why why do you think that you went that direction with it i have no idea that's just what um that's what the characters told me they needed um 
Derek's character, Chad Allen Nielsen, he, uh, in the way I felt him and the way the character sort of spoke to me was that, like, this is a really good person who's been broken by something and he needs to be, like, rebuilt. Uh, And so headliner the film is kind of it's it it's not um continuous there's no uh like the accident happened and Derek got back on stage or I said Derek Chad Allen got back on stage and then and then this movie is next like this movie does not address what happened in the short but to me it's the rebuilding like this this character um he took a break in the in the short. He took a break from the stage, and he was returning. And t- to me, that meant that there was some kind of um, there was a break in his life. And and what would that break be? It has to be something really serious. Because if this is his passion, this is his dream, and this is what he wants to do for a living, something really really serious had to have happened to keep him from the stage. Uh, and so that's just kind of what I rolled with. Yeah. And it worked. And, and it worked. And that movie, I mean, everybody loves it, it seems like. Yeah. It's won all kinds. It's, has it won several awards? I know I was at the I think so. the Lincoln one where it won Best yeah. Drama or whatever, mm-hmm. Best Short. Best Short, yeah. Best Narrative Short. Is that what it was? Yes, I believe that's what it was. And it seems like it's just connecting with people all over the place. Yeah. So like when, okay, so then when you get to set with that one after you wrote it, mm-hmm. did you get, was, did somebody else write the actual stand-up or did you write that yeah. too? Yeah. Okay. No, um, actual comedians wrote the, the stand-up. Yeah. Okay. Like, was did you try to at all, or were you kind of like no? I, don't I didn't to... even. I didn't even give it a shot. I think that I could do. I think that I could write my own stand-up routine, but I don't think I could ever do that for another person. Okay. And Derek's yeah. got kind of his own specific energy yeah. too. Mm-hmm. They're their own people. Like Bruce is hilarious. Like I love Bruce. He's so funny. Yeah, and so. So on set then, did Tony keep you involved? Were you there on set at all? Or was it kind of like you handed it off and trusted everybody to make it yeah, work? Yeah, no, I, I didn't I didn't show up on set. I just trusted Tony to do it, yeah. And you're happy with it? Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Do you? I mean, how much ownership do you feel over it since you didn't, like, since they kind of brought you the original idea, but then you made it mm-hmm. your own and then they made it their own? Right. Do you feel like it's sort of like your baby in some ways or does it feel like more of a gig you did for somebody? Yeah, the first time I saw it, I, I felt, um, yeah, it was like, it was like a child. It was like, you know, this is my baby. This is a, this thing I made. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, they weren't my original characters and it, it wasn't a concept that originally came out of my head. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I feel a little bit of separation from it now that it's been so much time and, but you know, and I've been working on the other, the, the feature and stuff. Yeah. So. Let's talk about the feature. So like sure. how, what's, I mean, basically I remember talking to Tony a little bit about it. Yeah. So basically it's like you guys felt, First of all, it could, could it could sustain a feature length. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like it's connected with enough people that there's probably an audience for it as a sure. feature length. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, was was it hard to figure out what to do with it to make it a feature? It it was. Yeah, it's well, a big it's a big chore. Yeah. To, to take. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the process of turning it into a feature? Um, you know, we I met with Tony again, and we talked over a lot of you know what his sort of vision was um you know we talked about what was actually possible I mean this is not you know we don't have millions and millions of dollars and Mm -hmm. um so it I don't know I sat with it for a really really long time uh and then I just kind of 
um, I, I thought more about what, what Chad Allen's world was and who was in the world. And I started to see him as a person who was surrounded by like really, really strong women who are like looking out for him and who want, who want the best for him. But he's kind of like just haphazardly making his way through life. And so, yeah, once all these people started to come to life, um, I wrote the first 30 pages and sent it to Tony and then just like sat on it again for another like two or three months before going back to it. Is that pretty normal for you to kind of wait for that burst of inspiration? Yeah, it, it totally is. Yeah, I wrote um, I wrote the outline and all the plot points uh, and the treatment and sent that. And then it was, it, it was, yeah, months and months and months of sitting on that before I actually started to write the screenplay. Um, yeah, I wrote the first 30 pages and like throughout throughout all of it you're i'm just thinking like i can't do this i don't know how to do this like uh, this is terrible is this the first feature you've written uh yeah okay Mm -hmm. yeah so so, is it the longest thing you've ever written in general it is yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah every 10 pages it's like you know i'm having personal crisis and meltdowns how do do i do this yeah page 60 even right (laughs) right but you figured it out yeah i figured it out there's three acts there's 90 pages boom yeah figured it out yeah. And so has it changed? I mean, are, are they filming it now? Not yet. What, uh, what next, I think next summer is what they're shooting for. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, is it going to evolve from here, you think? Or is it locked in? I think so, in? yeah. Okay. No, I'm in, I'm in the middle of the second draft. Um, so it's, you know, warping and shifting as we go. And are you happy with where it's going? I am, yeah. It's just kind of like the evolution of of who the characters are like and and I've I have written a lot of other projects in the meantime Mm -hmm. so I am growing as a writer the characters themselves are evolving um I'm developing a better sense of um story structure and pacing and stuff like that it's helpful too just to kind of get out of the mindset of one project go do something oh, else absolutely. then come back you have fresher yeah. eyes and you're like oh okay that doesn't work but i yeah. wouldn't have been able to tell that a month ago i hop around yeah a lot between projects like that so, so. what are the things you've been hopping around to so uh i finished um a spec script and two pilots earlier this year it's a lot it's a lot to submit to um fellowships and, nice. and competitions and stuff so yeah i I've, i'm one of those people that's like oh yeah i don't write i don't write enough and then i look back and it's like Oh, look at all the things I wrote. Do you try to write every day? Uh, no. In a perfect world, I absolutely would. But I'm I'm very like poorly disciplined when it comes to sitting down every day. It sounds writing. like you're not, though, because you churn out a lot. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So like, in an average week, is there like, you know, you get five, ten pages done? Or like there's like one day a week you sit down? Or yeah. What does I mean, it usually look like? Yeah. So when I... I'm a person who does better on deadlines. So when okay. I have a submission deadline that I have to meet, um, then I'm very disciplined. I write every day. So some days it literally might be like I wrote, you know, two lines of dialogue today. And then the next day it's like, well, I wrote 10 pages today. So it all just kind of evens out in the end. And I also like to edit as I write. So I'll write, you know, three pages. And then the next day I come back and I rewrite those three pages and it new half a page and it's just sort of this like constant going back and forth yeah and so okay so the spec you wrote is that a feature yeah oh no so the spec was a uh grace and frankie okay oh got it okay yeah so is that the first time you've done a spec or is that something you would do in the the class you took for it no it was the first time i'd written a spec okay Mm -hmm. so 
you always hear about people doing it. And so it's like something you send out to potentially get right. on mm-hmm. the writing staff somehow, right? Yeah. And so how hard is it to try to mimic the voice of other writers as far as that goes? Um, it's it's It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be really, really challenging. But if you have watched an entire show and you've paid attention to the characters and who they are and how they talk. Um, and then if you do like a really good study of a couple of episodes, the way the scenes are broken down and the way the, you know, is it an A, B plot line, is it an A, B, C plot line? How is it divided up? What's the pace? Um, then it becomes kind of like a formula. It's just like, well, okay, so a, B, A, B, C, uh, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute, you know, mm-hmm. and it becomes a pattern and then you can fill it in. If you're a big nerd like me, it's like, oh, it's a puzzle. I just have to fill in the pieces. Some people get discouraged when they're able to sort of see it in that mathematical yeah. way. Like I remember talking to Aaron Parks about that where it's like, in some ways, once I got used to writing things, and I feel like other people feel this way too, it's like once you understand that it's all just those formulas and variations of them, mm-hmm. it's easy to get discouraged. You're like, I don't know. Do I care anymore? I kind of figured it out. And he's, right. his approach is like, no, that makes it easy because then it's yeah. like, okay, now I know exactly what I need to focus on. Right. I just need to make those parts really good because I know what they are. Mm-hmm. Do you lean more toward the second part? I think so. Yeah. It's it's a little sad when you realize that every single movie is exactly the same. Yeah. On certain days, you're like, why do I even like these things? Yeah. It's like, this always happens on in minute nine, and this always yeah. happens in minute 37. And it's like, damn it, it's true. <laughs> um, but no, I think once uh, writing, you know, writing a, a screenplay or a teleplay or something, it's it's very, very difficult. And if you can make things easier for yourself by figuring out a formula and abiding by a formula, like uh, do it. It 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 gives you. I think it, it provides more space and more um, room for you to focus on the the characters and the the situations and the actions because that's where like the real art is. The art is not in like you know pacing and page numbers and just probably some crazy examples where it is yeah but like we we shouldn't necessarily aspire to that right like not everybody what's who is it terrence malik oh yeah like not everybody can pull that off right he can't even always pull it off he can't even always pull it off it's just like what am i what what have i been watching for the last 47 minutes i don't even know (laughs) but i like it yeah so okay so then you did you said it was two tv pilots yeah. Mm-hmm. So what were those about? So um, uh, the first one is Undone. It is um, about a woman living in Nebraska who finds her. She's a, a wedding photographer. She finds herself divorced with a child, and she's returning to the world of wedding photography after her own marriage implodes. Is that- and she's questioning autobiographical (laughs) no No? (laughs) that didn't happen to me it happened to Paige (laughs) the character so what so you said with with that one and the other one you are sending those out for fellowships yeah is that something you're also trying to shop them around like to agents or to get sold or anything yeah I haven't really gotten to that point um I met with uh someone who has worked in production and um as an agent and He's given me some feedback, and I'm, you know, hoping to connect with him here again pretty soon. So I don't think that I'm really quite at that point to shop them. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to, like, I, I just want to, ultimately my dream would just be to get staffed on a TV show 
um, and to on build Fleabag a season three on Fleabag. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, if you're <laughs> listening. <laughs> so, I mean, how much do you want to get stuff done, like within the Nebraska? Like, there's there are a bunch right. of indie film things. Obviously, like Tony Bonacci is a good example yeah, of doing it at a really high mm-hmm. level. And it's working pretty well. Like, there's, I guess, there's the dueling impulses. One is like, it'd be fun to make something here with mm-hmm. what we have, which is not a whole lot of resources. Right. But there's, you know, some charm to that too. Sure. And other people want to figure out how can I make it in the more professional, bigger scale. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you lean more toward? I mean, obviously, you are involved in both sides of that. It yeah. seems like. But I mean, like, do you have a preference or a goal overall? I don't know. It's that's a really tough question because, um, you know, I do. I am involved locally in the film scene. I'm writing things here. I'm having things produced here, um, and I love my like local community. And I will like fiercely defend it against anyone like from the outside who wants to talk shit about Omaha. Um, but on the other hand, like I have really high aspirations, and I like want to write a TV show that is on TV that everybody sees and, and that you get paid for and then I get paid for yeah. and to do that like ultimately I would have to leave right so it's really I mean it's really tricky you don't want to like betray you know the people who lifted you up and the people who helped start your career but at the same time you know you 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 aspire to reach whatever level it is you want to reach in your life mm. and for me that level I feel is ultimately going to lead me outside of Omaha right so I mean that's I don't know it makes sense to me and it's it's kind of unfortunate like you wish they're just like right can Alexander Payne just like make a studio right. here so, can't, so we can't can we have just it. like build one can we just tear down Crossroads and like put in a TV studio <laughs> I filmed a scene in Crossroads it was Did actually you? pretty fun yeah if you ask the right person you can get one of the little empty places where there used to be yeah. a storefront. And so we built this little phone store in there, and it was really fun to go. It felt like really real. Usually, uh, usually you don't get to build a set in Omaha yeah, when you're filming definitely. something, but that was really That's exciting really cool. to me. Yeah, it'd be fun if that was yeah, just a big studio lot. But yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Um, do you have any Alexander Payne worship in you? I feel like everybody <laughs> doing local stuff does to some extent. I I have no. I I respect him and his films. Um, I I. I wouldn't recognize him if I saw him on the street. Oh, really? Yeah, like I could very well like be friends with him and have no idea. That's <laughs> unusual. I, I feel like it's unique. <laughs> I I was at this. Uh, it was like a jazz thing at the Orpheum like a year or two ago, and he was sitting like a couple seats in front of me. Yeah. And at one point, he looked back, and I was just realizing, oh, hey, oh, that's, that's Alexander. Right. We made awkward eye contact, and you could tell he's like he sees me, recognize him, but it's like he's not going to come say hi to me in the middle of this. Yeah. You know, like the band's up there. Uh-huh. So I mean, I've met him a couple times, and like I recognize him, but uh, I feel like everybody's idolizes him so Absolutely. much. I'm almost <laughs> impressed that you don't even know what he looks like. <laughs> I mean, and I know, I know what he, I know what he generally looks like, but <laughs> yeah. like if I saw him in the grocery store, I wouldn't. He'd probably appreciate that you wouldn't go over and say hi, honestly. Probably. People here love to talk about him, though. I saw, I went to a movie at um, uh, the Dundee Theater, Mm -hmm. and I was there alone. uh, And all all the people around me, I was listening to their conversations because that's what I do. I'm a professional eavesdropper. Uh, And every single person in the theater was talking about Alexander Payne. Like, it's not an exaggeration. Film streams is definitely the place Uh to go for those kind of conversations. And I was like, well, I'm alone, so what do I do? Is it, like, a prerequisite that I have to talk about him? (laughs) Like, should I just stand up and shout his name to, like, appease the Alexander Payne movie theater gods? They'd be happy. I don't know. Yeah, so I might not be allowed back there. I don't know. Maybe this will 
be enough. Maybe they'll hear this and be like, oh, no, she's fine. She can come back. Yeah. No, they'll, they'll grant you some sort of like temporary okay, reprieve. They're like, okay, yeah. figure out what he looks like. Then I'll you get can a come pat. Back. Yeah. I have to, they're going to make me draw. Have to, like, I have to draw his portrait to yeah. come back. So they'll yeah. be like the usual suspects. You know, they're like, oh, can you pick out Alexander <laughs> Payne here? Okay, you can come in. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, are there other projects you're working on too then? Or are you kind of in a stage now where it's like figure out the headliner, see what happens with everything? Uh, no, I've got some other stuff going on. So I finished, uh, you know, I finished all those writing projects to submit to fellowships. Um, I've kind of, ta- you know, I've kind of put those ones to rest temporarily. I feel like I just need some room away from them to to let them breathe for a mm-hmm. minute. Um, so I'm starting another, I, I'm working on another pilot right now. Um, it's about like a crime-fighting stay-at-home mom oh wow (laughs) kind of she's like a um i don't want to give too much away but she's like a retired cia agent slash you know soccer mom is that designed to be more broad in general because it seems like you've leaned more toward the human stories without a whole lot of big genre elements yeah it's a little it's a little actiony it's a little comedy i've uh so i actually wrote it as a comic book script oh okay yeah and so um my yeah my boyfriend is a a cartoonist and a an artist and an illustrator and a very talented person and so we have you know uh discussed it as like is it a comic book is it an animated series is it a live series and so it's it's still figuring itself out right now but well, it could be all of those it could be all of those things yeah. that's true um so that uh that's in the works um yeah i've also kind of toyed around with i have this really great character for like a, a teen tween family sitcom so maybe try something a little bit younger um for that audience I don't know. I write a lot of like sex jokes and stuff, though. So you maybe it's time to do stand up then. Probably. Probably. That's all. Like if you go to open mic nights, it's get it out. Yeah, it's just a bunch of you know penis jokes and a bunch of dirty horny people telling jokes. Yeah, and like you know some of them are funny. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever thought about doing stand up? I have. It's something I've been thinking about recently. I took an improv class last year. And it was like, it was a clean improv class, um, which is really difficult because so much (laughs) stuff lends itself to like being inappropriate. Um, uh, and it was really fun. I was terrified to get up on stage. Like I'm, I'm terrified of people looking at me. Um, like, can I do improv behind the screen? (laughs) I'd be comfortable with that. Uh, but, but in the end, when all was said and done, it was awesome and I loved it. And so I have kind of toyed a little bit with the idea of, um, stand-up comedy and also doing like some web series stuff oh, nice. yeah like yeah what? um one i have an idea of uh just like a relationship so it's like these ongoing little like snippets of the stupid ridiculous stuff that you like encounter in a relationship like arguing over you know sleeping positions or you know yeah, it sounds fun. Being hungry in the car and, you know, can't decide where you want to go. And it's just like the dumb mundane stuff that we all do right. that it's like, oh, man, this is pretty ridiculous. Somebody needs to, like, tell jokes about this. So you've just got so much inside there's of you, it sounds like, that you want to throw lot, out there. There's a lot bubbling around up there. Yeah. So that's cool. That's exciting. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you feel like is, is the next step then you have to sort of get rid of the stage fright to keep... Uh, yeah, I think so. 
Maybe you could have a, a part in the headliner movie. You there could be we one go. Of the, one of the comedians. I'll write myself. Don't be like, where'd she come from? Where'd this character come from? <laughs> I have some casting ideas for yeah. this one. I know this girl. <laughs> She's a little squirrely, but I think you're going to like her. Well, you have enough clout, too. If it doesn't go well, you can be like, yeah, cut that out. Don't put that in there. <laughs> I'm going to need you to just cut. I'm not going to sign that release form for you. Yeah. <laughs> that can be a deleted scene footage. on the DVD. Yeah, blooper reel stuff. <laughs> What's With the headliner movie, then. So is yeah. the plan to do festival circuit? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I think um, some festivals and then ultimately, uh, you know, obviously just getting some kind of distribution deal. Yeah. For it, whether that's streaming or, you know, traditional non-streaming. Do you have a preference of the two? No, I think that, um, I think that Headliner is a good fit for streaming. Yeah, I could see it doing really well on like a Netflix yeah. or a, a Prime I mean, platform. I mean, my... My inclination is always, I feel like theatrical feels more legitimate in a lot of ways, but yeah. also like going to the movie theater, I feel like people, I don't know if they're more annoying or if I'm just more annoyed by people, <laughs> but I feel like I've had a lot of bad theater experiences in the last few years where it's just easier to be like, you know what? Maybe Netflix is fine. Why do I care? <laughs> We've lost our ability to behave appropriately. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, I went to Ad Astra recently and I'm sitting next to this. It's like, a, I think this kid's probably like 12 or 13. So like, I'm not going to yell at him about anything because he's a kid. But he's just chewing on ice the whole movie. And oh, it's like, yeah, that's... I don't want to sit here and listen to this. Like, no. I can't pay attention to the movie. I'm not going to, like, yell at some random kid yeah. about chewing ice. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, like, do you feel like... The, is the future just streaming, or do you care one way or another? Oh, man, I don't know. I, um, I love the experience of going to a theater mm-hmm. and watching a movie. I love it. Yeah. But also, I love being at home in my pajamas. And right. so... <laughs> can we have both? Can we have both? I don't like know. pajama theaters? <laughs> it's moving know. that direction, too, though. Yeah, yeah. We can read back. It'll just be beds, I think, at We some just point. need to reach a point where it's socially acceptable to always be in our pajamas. I think we're moving there. In public. We're getting pretty <laughs> yeah. close. If you take a look outside, it's pretty close. <laughs> so, okay. So, is the headliner, is the funding all there, or is it like a crowdfunded thing? Um, I, you know... I, I don't think funding is 100% nailed down yet. I think that's kind of the next phase that Tony's going to roll into here pretty soon. But there's not like a GoFundMe we should be plugging right now or anything? Not as of yet. Okay. That might be coming up here pretty shortly, though. Yeah. So is there a Facebook for the movie itself that people could follow to figure that out? Yeah, absolutely. There's a Facebook page if you want to check it out. Um, You can get all your updates from there. Uh, Yeah. That's just the headliner is that what it's, yeah, I don't okay. know what the exact, but I think if you search like the headliner Omaha, okay, it, it comes up. Do you want people following you on any social media? Do you want to plug, or do you want to not have them follow sure. you? Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, I think I'm Christine Bright McGee. I have terrible last names. They do not lend themselves well <laughs> to social media handles. Yeah. I, I relate. My name, no one can spell uh, no, my name either. No, you've got so, a tough one, too. Yeah, and you, like, you don't say half the letters in it, so it's just a pain. Yeah. Like, if I say no block, you'd never come up with it. Oh, that's not how... I would. I thought it was, like, na blah, like, na-blog. Right, I get that a lot, and I get it, because it's like, those are the letters in the name. <laughs> like, shouldn't we use them? But, uh, no, so... Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no go ahead. That's I was going to say, my, my combination of last names is Bright McGuigan, and so it's just like, I don't know, 
if if you're close, I appreciate <laughs> it. I have low expectations when it comes to pronunciation. Right. Yeah. So it's just your name then on like Twitter, Facebook, yeah, or I'm Instagram, just, yep. anything. Okay. Yeah, it's just my name, Christine Burright. If you search that, I pop up. And that's the best way to keep on top of whatever you have coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, reach out. Well, good luck with everything. Thanks yeah, for thank doing the so show. Much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Riverside Chats is hosted by me, Tom Noblock, out of Studio 62 in Benson, Nebraska. You can support the show at patreon.com slash Creative. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another fascinating conversation with another fascinating person in the community. <laughs>